Lord, we need your help. Father, we long to see you exalted, to see your name known. We pray that, Father, you would help us to see the Son this morning, to see Jesus and the glory that he has at your right hand. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to see the wonders of the gospel. Father, for some here this morning, they'll hear the gospel for the first time. Father, don't let the gospel fail to penetrate hearts. And Father, some of us have heard the gospel countless times. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to peel back the layers of asbestos that keep the gospel from penetrating more and more deeply and, and help us who have heard it and who are tempted to hear it with ears of familiarity. Lord, help us to hear it afresh by your Holy Spirit this morning. Father, how much we need Jesus in this time of weariness, in this land of dryness, when we face death and decay and dying, we pray that you would meet us. Father, comfort Tina and, and Angel and Aaron. Lord, be real to them as you've never been real before. Comfort, give peace by your word that the truth of the gospel is that the hope, the best, is yet to come. Father, we give this time to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every year on the first Sunday, we, we take just a few minutes and think about our purpose and our vision as a church. So when you came in, you received a study. It should have been in the seats or there were some as you came in. And if you open to the first page of the study, you'll see our 2021 vision. And it continues to rotate around the heart of Jesus, which is to make disciples. And so would you say our purpose together with me? Our purpose is to make disciples together. Let's do it one more time. Our purpose is to make disciples together. That's the heartbeat of Jesus for his church. Jesus longs for his church to take his last command to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. He longs for a church that he can come alongside and support with all the resources that he has at his disposal, he's longing for his church to say yes to making disciples together. And so our purpose as a church is to reflect his priorities and his purpose. And Jesus shows us a clear plan for how to make disciples. We know it's a process. That's why we make disciples. And we're making disciples of Jesus. We're making apprentices of Jesus. We're inviting people to follow Jesus. And Jesus shows us how. Jesus in the gospel shows us how to make disciples of his. He invites people to come and see who he is. He says, come and see. And we join him and we say, come and see Jesus. We win the lost, we build believers. Jesus invited a group of men to come and follow him. He appointed them that they might be with him. The invitation he gives to you and to me is that we would be with him, that we would learn to follow him. But he doesn't end with just building believers. He longs for his church to say yes to 
winning the lost and building believers together as disciple makers, that we would move into the harvest and we would say yes to our part in the harvest, that we would equip workers, that men and women would move into the harvest field and they would say yes to Jesus's invitation, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. You say, well, I don't know how to share my faith. Jesus says, I'll make you become a fisher of men. I don't know how to encourage and equip workers. Jesus says, I will equip you. I will help you. I will make you become a fisher of men. And the dream, the hope, the vision is that we would multiply disciple makers, men and women who have grown so accustomed to following Jesus that they leave in their wake others who have learned to follow Jesus too and who are winning the lost and building believers and equipping workers. That was Jesus's plan. That was Jesus's process. And we say yes to being a church that joins him in that work. Our hope is that we would stay focused in that work until Jesus comes again. That when Jesus comes again, he will find at Good News Church a group of people who have said yes to making disciples, who can make disciples, who could make disciples, who could make disciples, and that we would have a multiplied impact here in St. John's County and to the ends of the earth. I am so thankful to be a part of a church and to be a part of leading a church that takes seriously Jesus' last command to go and make disciples. I'm so thankful for your generosity. Last year, uh, the last year's giving was almost two and a half million dollars, two million four hundred ninety-eight thousand nine hundred forty-six dollars. You'll see on the second page of your study, you'll see the 2021 budget, and you see that we've budgeted two million five hundred and eighty-seven thousand eight hundred eight dollars for 2021. We believe it's wise this year to have a, a budget for giving that's very close to the giving last year. That's wise. But if you'll notice, we've budgeted the total expenses of $2,613,620. You say you've budgeted a, a, a loss. We believe that we should be wise but we should also have a vision. We should also have a hope. We should also have an aspiration that God's people will give and that the time to invest is now. It's a matter of obedience. We desperately need the gospel to be able to give. The gospel moves into our heart. The gospel is foolishness to the world. The world sees our giving 10% of our income to the local church, the world sees our giving and they say 10 minus 1 equals less. And we look at the gospel and we say, no, 10 minus 1 is more. What's foolishness to the world in the power of the gospel is our greatest joy that 10 minus 1 equals more. It's an obedience to Jesus. It's an obedience to the gospel that we give and we can give. And it's a good investment. It's a good investment to give. We all want a good return on our investment. And I will tell you that Good News Church is a good investment to make. It is good to give to your local church. I am so thankful 
to be a part of good news. And I believe with all my heart that good news is a good place for you to invest. I am so thankful for our team of people that when you give, we have the opportunity to have an amazing staff of people. That Parker, as our campus director, is doing an amazing work in caring for, shepherding, leading, and helping our staff be laser-focused on our purpose to make disciples together. I'm so thankful for Parker and his work this year as our campus director. I'm so thankful for Dylan as he's transitioned into this year of being our full-time worship director. I'm so thankful for his heart for Jesus. Don't get mad. He's really good at the guitar. He can sing. Oh, to be able to sing like that. But he loves Jesus. What flows out of his heart as he leads on Sunday is the glory and wonder at the work of Jesus on his behalf. I'm so glad he is worth the investment when you give. I am so thankful for Lisa and for Amanda and for the work that's happening in our children's ministry. It is worth the investment. Good News Church next week is going to offer a class for kids who just came to know Jesus. There are churches all over this country that are dying because their kids don't know Jesus, and we're able to offer a class to help kids and their parents grow. Thank you for investing. Some Amanda and Lisa are worth your investment. You'll get a good return. Joe came on staff this year, and I'm thankful for Joe. He is worth your investment. He is reaching students. He is cultivating a team who wants to reach students. I am thankful to have a student ministry director who wants kids to come to know Jesus in the pages of Scripture. He's worth your investment. I am so thankful for Samantha and all the work she does behind the scenes, faithfully helping people like me every now and then look good. She's great. She's worth the investment. Our team at World Golf Village is great. They are worth your investment. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. I am so thankful to have Rick on our team as we move into 2021. I'm so thankful to have Rick Mason, a wise, winsome, mature follower of Jesus who can come alongside and help our small group leaders thrive. I'm so thankful to welcome Rick to our team. I'm thankful for our elders I'm thankful for Jared and John and Alex. We're led by a team of elders who are worth your investment. I am so thankful for them. I'm thankful that we can welcome Jeff Rott back on our elder board this year. He served in the past at our Wildwood campus, and he's coming back on our elder board this year. I'm thankful that good news is worth your investment because we're making progress in our disciple-making. Our small group leaders are making progress in making disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that's worth your investment because this year, 102 people came to saving faith in Jesus because of the faithful witness of 27 evangelists who took 
the step of moving into the harvest and shared their faith in Jesus and were able to see someone come to faith. 102 people, 27 evangelists. Good news is worth your investment. This year we were able to, last year we were able to plant 15 new churches. And since 2005, we've planted 103 churches around the world. Good news is worth your investment. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. We have so much more to do. We have so much more fruit to bear. We have so much more to pray for. We have so much more to trust the Father for. We have so much more to invest in. Because when I look around the world, what I see is a giant squeeze that's happening in the world today. And it's not a hug. It is a giant squeeze that's happening. And the church more and more is being squeezed out of its position of influence that it had in the past. And now, in God's grace, we're going to have to count on the gospel. We can't count on the influence that we had in the past. We'll have to just trust our Heavenly Father. That's good news. But the bad news is that while the world squeezes and squeezes and squeezes, and the church is squeezed out of the culture, our culture is devastated. It's devastated economically. It's devastated socially. It's devastated relationally. It's devastated spiritually. And I believe the church, the church is God's instrument in the world to take the gospel to the nations beginning here in St. John's County and extending to the ends of the earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be reached. The question is, will we be a part of it? Will we invest in it? Will we give our time and our talent and our treasure to it? And we won't if the word of God doesn't help us know how to live in the world that wants to squeeze us out. And that's why this year we're going to go to Scripture and we're going to look at the book of Exodus. And we're also going to look at the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter to see how to live in the world. A world that wants to squeeze us out. We're going to learn to live in the world, but not be of the world, but be for the world. We're going to learn how to live by Christ for Christ, with Christ. We're going to learn how to be the church. Even when the world wants to push us out, we're going to learn to be the church, to live for Christ, by Christ, with Christ, even when it causes us to be hurt by the world. That we'll be willing, equipped by God's word, to live for Christ even when it causes our suffering. So we're going to start in Exodus this morning, and I'd invite you to take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 1, and we're going to start in the book of Exodus. We're not going to leave Israel in Egypt. We left them in Egypt at the end of 2020, but we're not going to leave them there in 2021. We're going to get them out of Egypt. We're going to see how God works deliverance for his people. 
So Hebrews, or <laughs> Hebrews, Exodus chapter 1. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number. Joseph was already in Egypt. So Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. And so Israel is in the land of Egypt, and all of them go to the land of Egypt. And in this second book of the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, it's called Shemot, which means names, because the book begins with a collection of names, the sons of Jacob who went down into Egypt. And this book of names is the continuation of the story begun in Genesis of all the generations of God's people. And then these men and their families, 70 people go to Egypt. And 430 years later, 600,000 men, probably over 2 million people, leave Egypt. 70 to over 2 million. 430 years of time. How did it happen? How did they make their departure? Which is what Exodus means in our English Bibles. It literally means departure. How did they make their departure? Two million people. That's the story we're going to look at. How did Israel come to multiply and grow with the blessing of God? And how did they make their departure out of Egypt? Verse 8, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. And put, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and had all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Verse 8 tells us that there arose in Egypt a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And all the misery and all the suffering of the people of Israel arose because of forgetfulness. Forgetfulness becomes the breeding ground for misery and bondage for Israel. And forgetfulness is the breeding ground of sin in our own lives. Alexander Solzhenitsyn spoke in the 1980s, and he recalled his time growing up in the Soviet Union and talking to the elders of his city, to his grandparents, and asking them, why has all this misery fallen upon Russia? And they said, men 
have forgotten God. Forgetfulness is the breeding ground of sin and misery and captivity. And the problem wasn't just for Pharaoh. The problem wasn't just in Russia. The problem is in our hearts too. We all have a forgetfulness in our hearts. In 2007, we bought our first home here in St. Augustine. We moved in. We were the only people who had ever lived in the home. The, the, first buyer, the first owners had built the home, but they had never lived in it. They sold it to us, and we moved in, and it was great. It was all new. It smelled new. It looked new, but there was a problem. We discovered that the hot water, somewhere between the hot water heater and our master bathroom, the hot water and the cold water had been switched. So in the toilet, there was hot water. And it was worse because when it went out from the bathroom to the hose bib just outside the wall, that was hot water, which would have become very costly if we were watering our plants and washing our car with hot water from the hot water heater. So I called Adam Fisher, my friend, and he was building houses, not burying people at the time. And I asked him, Adam, is there anything I can do? He said, call the builder and tell them it's a latent defect. If you just use that phrase, it'll be a magic phrase. It'll, they'll immediately come and address the problem. And he was right. I called him up. I said, there's a problem with my water. I think it's a latent defect. They said, we'll be right out. I said, thank you. Every single one of us has a latent defect in our hearts called forgetfulness. Every morning we wake up and there is a tendency in our heart to forget God. It is a latent defect. It is inherent in every single one of our hearts that we forget the glory and the wonder of the gospel. We forget of the love of Jesus. We forget the adoption to sonship that we have in Jesus, the love of our Heavenly Father. We forget the work of the Holy Spirit. We forget, and that's why we desperately need a church. We desperately need a small group. We desperately need God's Word to remind us again and again and again of the gospel. That's why we preach the gospel to ourselves and to one another. And it's why we gather to hear God's word read and preached week after week. Because we don't want to forget Jesus. And without reminders, we will. Men have forgotten God. And they forgot Joseph. And they began to persecute the people of Israel. And it says in verse 12 that the people of Egypt dreaded the people of Israel. They were in dread of them. And that's too weak. Eugene Peterson in the message translates it this way. The Egyptians got to so they couldn't stand the Israelites. They loathed them. They abhorred them. They hated them. And you need to know that in the world, there is not a neutrality to Jesus. There is not a neutrality to the people of God, that there is a force at work in the world that hates God, hates his people, and his loathing 
for God and his people, he desires to obliterate, to keep down, to hinder the work of the gospel. And so every time there's a work of grace, every time there's a renewal in a Christian, every time there's revival in a church, every time there's an awakening in a land, there's a counterattack from those who are hostile to the people of God. There's a counterattack, and it's true in our own hearts. That's why when you're on your way to church feeling pretty good about yourself, you can find yourself screaming at your children. Because there's an attack and a counterattack. There's an attack against the kingdom of darkness. In seeing people come to the light, there's a counterattack of hatred and hostility. It's why you can be reading scripture filled with the love of God. And then five minutes later, open Facebook, open Twitter, and just go absolutely berserk. And write things and say things about people that you never thought you would say or write. Because there is a counterattack of hostility against renewal. And we need to know that. We need to know that the world is not neutral to the work of grace. The world is not neutral to the work of the gospel. The world has a power that wants to oppose, that wants to obliterate the people of God. There is a power at work in the world. There is a power at work in your heart. And its desire is to destroy the spark of faith in Jesus from your life. That's why we desperately need the church. That's why we desperately need the gospel. That's why we need to be in small group. That's why we need to open scripture. And the power isn't neutral. It doesn't stay with slavery Pharaoh moves on to another strategy, an even worse strategy. Verse 15, the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrews, the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is, born, uh, who is born, you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. The power, the hostility, the hatred for God and his people goes from enslaving them. It wasn't an economic desire. It was a hatred for God's people. They go from enslaving them to seeking to kill them. But the midwives, the midwives are the first of many deliverers that God will raise up in the book of Exodus. The midwives 
are the deliverance of the people of Israel. We live in a hostile world. We have sin within. We have the world without. We have the enemy that comes against us. What is our hope? Our hope is in a deliverer. And the midwives are a deliverer for the people of Israel. They're a deliverer who comes. The deliverer comes and they are of the Hebrew people. They're one of the Hebrews. The midwives are one of their people. The, he, the Hebrew midwives are obedient out of fear for God. The Hebrew midwives are obedient to God. The Hebrew midwives are willing to suffer and face the hatred of Pharaoh as they are obedient to God. Who does that sound like? The midwives point us to Jesus. The midwives point us to Jesus and the work of the gospel that Jesus became one of us. He took on our humanity. He took on flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus, God, the second person of the Trinity, took on our humanity and became fully God and fully man in one person. He became one of us. And he was obedient. He was obedient to the Father in every way. He obeyed every part of the law and he did it for you. Jesus was obedient to the glory of his father. He exalted the father in everything. He obeyed God in your place. And his greatest act of obedience was his greatest act of suffering. That he was willing on the cross to bear the full and awful penalty that your sin and my sin deserves. And on the cross, he sacrificed himself as our substitute. He is the deliverer, the great redeemer, the savior who has come that the midwives point to. The midwives are a picture of the gospel and the whole book of Exodus is a picture of the gospel. We need a deliverer. We live in bondage. We live in sin. We need a deliverer. And Jesus is that deliverer. The bad news of the gospel is that we're all enslaved to sin. John 8, 34. If anyone sins, he is a slave to sin. Israel in bondage in Egypt. It's a picture for you and me of what sin does in our hearts. It enslaves us. If anyone sins, he's a slave of sin. Just as the Israelites who were born in Egypt, were born in slavery. We're born in slavery. We're born in sin. We've all inherited that bondage to sin. Every single one of us. And just as the midwives obeyed, Jesus obeyed in our place. We need a deliverer. We couldn't free ourselves. Israel couldn't free themselves without a deliverer. And we can't free ourselves without a deliverer, without a savior. The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ, as the God-man, sacrificed himself in our place, both in obedience and his willingness to go to the cross. And on the cross, he suffered in our place. He became afflicted so that his people who were in affliction could be set free. Egypt afflicted the people of Israel. Jesus was afflicted for us. 
Isaiah 53, verse 7 says this, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus looked at our affliction. He looked at the affliction that we suffered because of sin and he delivered us. He became afflicted in our place on the cross. He was oppressed and afflicted for you and for me. And our part is to believe in him, to trust in him. Have you? Have you trusted in Christ alone for your deliverance? You can't work yourself out. You can't free yourself. But Jesus can deliver you. Jesus can free you. He really can. Look at what he did. Put your trust in him. Jesus said, truly, truly, he who believes has eternal life. Would, do you want to be set free? Do you want to be forgiven of all your sin? Put your trust in Jesus, the deliverer, the savior. Do you know him? Do you know him? Then follow him. Jesus Christ has never once let me down, and he'll never let you down. He is amazing, and he is worth following with everything that you have. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus out of your sin. Follow Jesus out of your sin as he is your Lord and Savior. Follow Jesus through all of life. He is our model for life and ministry. Follow him. He's wiser than you are. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower you and help you become the person he wants you to be. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus into the promised land, into glory. Follow Jesus. He will get you safely home. He really will. Follow Jesus. How do we do that? How do we do that this year? Follow Jesus by loving Jesus and spending time with him in your study each week will give you the opportunity to read through the New Testament. You'll see it here on, uh, each, uh, on each page of the week. We get to the first week. You'll see it on page 16. It starts in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Spend time with Jesus. How do we love Jesus? We spend time with him. How do you love your wife? How do you love your husband? You spend time with him. How do you love your children? You spend time with him. How do we love Jesus? We spend time with him in his word. We've given you a reading plan to read through the New Testament. We've given you a reading plan to read through the Old Testament also. It's on page 8 of your study. Spend time with Jesus this year. Spend time with one another Love one another. Get in a small group. Get involved in biblical community where people can remind your forgetful heart of the love of Jesus. Love Jesus. Love one another. And love the lost. You have a deliverer. You know the way. Jesus is the way. He's the way out. You now know the one who other people need to know. They need to know there's a way. There's a way out of sin. There's a way out of brokenness. Exodus chapter 1, verse 20 says this. God was good to the midwives 
And the people multiplied and became very mighty. We have a deliverer. His name is Jesus. He's greater than the midwives. He's the one that the midwives point to. We have a deliverer. We have a savior, Jesus, that God would be good to Jesus, that he would bless Jesus and Jesus's people, that he would allow us to multiply together in the grace of the gospel and that we would grow strong together in gospel grace this year. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us, I pray. Help us to see Jesus in every page of Exodus. Help us to see Jesus this year as we walk through this book. Help us to see Jesus as we gather together and worship and as we gather together in small group, as we spend time with you each day, Jesus, help us to see you and to fall more in love with you day after day after day. Father, I pray for those who are here that maybe have never heard the gospel, that, Father, you would work in their hearts, give them the ability to put their trust in you, Jesus, and that they would say to you, Jesus, I admit that I have sinned against you, and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again for me, Jesus, I put my trust in you as Savior, and I seek now to follow you as Lord. Father, help me become the person you want me to be. And Jesus, we all need to be strengthened together, and so we come to this table now to be strengthened by grace, to have fellowship with you, Jesus, to, to sup with you. Father, help these elements to be for us true food and true true drink to nourish our souls as we feed upon Jesus by faith. We pray in his name. Amen.